What's going on, guys? Welcome back to this episode of Outside the Arena. I'm Griffin Senek, and today I am joined by a very special guest. He's a co-host of SNY's The Mets Pod, a lead draft analyst for Bleacher Report, and host of the NFL Stock Exchange for PFF, Connor Rogers. Griffin, thanks, man. What's going on? Doing good. Happy to have you today, Connor. Um, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. Obviously, I do want to talk about the Mets. I want to talk about the NFL some. Um, but today, I actually want to start off today's episode kind of talking about your personal career a little bit. Um, so my first question for you is, when did you know that you wanted to work in sports media? And what were the steps you took that allowed you to get to where you are today? Man, surprisingly, I would say either really early or really late in life. Like when I was a kid, when I was like five, I was like, okay, like all I want to do the rest of my life has to do with sports. And then when you become a teenager and even in college, I just never thought it was realistic, to be honest with you. I think when you look at it, it we lived in a, you know, I'm 30 years old, right? So I was born in 1991. Um, I grew up in a time where, you know, how many people, however many people were on Sports Center, which you could like count them on one hand, were the people that worked in sports. And then you had, you know, obviously the coverage of games every, and this is still like this, but every color commentator is a former player. And then you have broadcasters. I never thought you know, I'd be like a traditional broadcaster. I didn't go to school as a broadcaster. I went to business school. So I kind of was fortunate that when I was in college, there was this new wave of media, mostly all working for free, where you people were blogging about their interest in sports and then podcasting. And now the beast that is YouTube blew up. And then it turned into you know, kind of what you and I are sitting here doing right now on Zoom, right? Like where you can, and, and other people care and watch. There's other mediums than TV. So uh, that are profitable in a sense that where you can do this for a living. So really late in life, uh, my last two years of college is when I really got into writing and podcasting, had nothing to do with what I was studying. I was in business school and I just fortunately, when I got out of college and I was interviewing for jobs, I had an opportunity to come up as an entry level research assistant at Bleacher Report strictly for the NFL. And I was like, man, I know everything about the NFL, or I think I do. I could do this job. Went through a pretty tough interview process, honestly, and got the job and started literally at the basement floor kind of job level and learned a lot while doing it behind the scenes how to make shows, how to direct, how to do all these things. And uh, it eventually transitioned to me being on the other side of the camera. Yeah, definitely a interesting story here. And I like hearing, you know, everyone's different journey because they're all, everyone's, you know, perspective on, on things is so different and what happened to them. So, um, I mean, that's that's awesome. Um, my next question would, would be, what are one or two pieces of advice that you would say you've received over the years that has really helped you get to where you are today? It's a good question. I think number one is to not be afraid to go for it, right? Like you could always go back to your backup plan. I think. And like, for me, it was, you know, like I said, I have my degree in business. Um, I took the FDNY test. My dad was on the fire department in the Bronx for like 36 years. And those are all great avenues to work in. And, and I think for me, it was not that I could always go do those things. It's not in to say that, but it's that I had an opportunity to come up to work in sports in Manhattan for a growing company where I could learn and not be buried, right? Like I wasn't going to like a network where like I was one of a million and didn't matter. I was going to a place that was still small, but growing. And I think that I finally took the mindset on, a lot of people are scared to do this and I get it, 
because it's like it stinks being like you know either out of a job or down and out in money and things like that like i took a mindset on like if this doesn't work it's not the end of the world like i can go do other things i can reset myself i mean when i got that job i did i didn't have any money coming out of college i commuted three hours each way so i was commuting six hours a day but if i knew if i was like if i burn out doing this i'll i can always go back to the other things and uh, I, I didn't burn out cause I loved it. Like I, I loved waking up and going to the city every day and working in football. And I, I still love waking up every day and working in football. Now I'm very close to the city, obviously. Like it's a little different now when I have to go in, it's, you know, 15 minutes, not three hours. But I, I think that was the number one thing. And that advice came from my mom out of all people. Like a lot of people were like, Oh, like, what you, like you'll never make it working in sports. And this is 2014. So I think the mindset has changed a little bit as you see, younger content creators like yourself like having a lot of success doing podcasts from their own living room doing youtube channels do, like twitch streaming like they, there's these things are profitable i think back then it's when you say back then because it's only eight years ago but it was like man like i don't know if you're gonna find a profitable career doing that like how are you gonna like support yourself and then a family and then it's like well you just try to prove people wrong and i think that was really good advice I, i'm trying to think of like some other because it's interesting. I think the advice I always give people, I've been fortunate enough to speak to a couple college classes, is like, you can start doing everything like you are at, whenever you want. Like, I, I've done shows with high school kids hosting shows, and that, that blows my mind. But that you, if you have a computer, they all have, de they all have cameras on them right now. You can invest $50 in a microphone, and it's enough to get you by. And you could teach yourself on YouTube how to do basic audio and video editing. Like, you can build your portfolio from your own bedroom right now. And I think that is, that's amazing, honestly. Yeah, it's definitely uh, an interesting time to uh, to be, uh, you know, about to go to, to college. And, and yeah, I mean, I've been, like you've kind of said, it's been awesome being able to, you know, kind of get you? ahead. And I'm only 17. Holy crap. See, this is a perfect example. Like yeah. you're going to college and you're already doing podcasts. That's incredible. Yeah, no, it's been a, a awesome experience. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that those pieces of advice are awesome. Um, I do want to pivot though um, and talk about the New York Mets, my favorite baseball team. I know it's also your favorite team. Um, I mean, obviously it's been a great year for the Mets. They're coming off a big win last night. Uh, when we're filming this, they just beat the Marlins 10-0. Uh, currently three and a half games over the Atlanta Braves in the NL East. My main question for you right now, I mean, what has surprised you the most about this Mets team this year? How the guys in the pitching staff have performed while Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom have not been able to play. I think that if you told me, right, one of Taiwan Walker, Carlos Carrasco, Tyler McGill at the time, David Peterson, like Trevor Williams – one of those guys is going to overperform expectations and surprise. I would have said, you know what? You're probably right. The chances are one of them will have a good first half. If you told me that basically all of them have overachieved, I would be like, no way. Like, I, I knew, I've always been a fan of Carrasco, but you had to wonder, is it just, has he hit that wall? And he's had his struggles this year, but he's also had some really good starts. Taiwan Walker has pitched all-star caliber again in the first half, which is incredible. Peterson has been, he's kept them in games. Trevor Williams has kept them in games. It's all you can ask for from sixth starters, those kinds of guys. So 
I think that I knew this team was going to get on base, right? When you have Brandon Nimmo, Mark Hanna, Starling Marte, Jeff McNeil, you're going to get on base. I knew Pete Alonso was going to hit home runs. I knew Francisco Lindor was going to drive in runs and play a good shortstop. I knew that betting on J.D. Davis and Dom Smith and at one time Robinson Cano to DH is probably going to be a strategy that changes by the time you get to the trade deadline. But I did not think the back half of the rotation and the guys that started out in Syracuse or wherever it may be in the bullpen uh, would step up like this. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been shocking. I've been it's been a, a very successful year. And, you know, you just saw Scherzer come back to Grom seems to be on the men. So, you know, 21 games over 500. I mean, if you look on a uh, on Mets Twitter, it might seem like they're in last place or the sky is falling, but it's been a always, really, uh, always. <laughs> it's been a really uh, a good season thus far. You did kind of mention it when you were talking about um, the DH spot, the trade deadline is coming up. Um, that's definitely a spot of need for the Mets. They've already been linked to guys like Trey Mancini, Nelson Cruz, I mean, what do you think are the main needs for the Mets going into the trade deadline? And who in particularly, who in particular would you like to see them uh, look to trade for? I, they need a bat. They need a power bat. Um, and it's really, that's honestly cost effective at the deadline every year. Like, you can find that. Like, look at the Braves getting Duvall and Rosario and Soler. Like, uh, you can get a power bat. Now, they need relief help. You can get relief help every deadline because that is the number one thing that teams out of contention sell is relievers, especially on expiring contracts. So the, fortunately the two things the Mets need are very attainable like that. And it, very cost effective. You don't need to trade Francisco You don't need to trade Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty. Like you don't need to do these things to get these guys. You're that's not what you're really taking on the money and maybe a third or fourth tier prospect for things like that. So they're going to get those things. I will sit here and commonly say they are going to get those things. Now, is there a surprise at play? Like, do they like the flexibility of a guy like Wilson Contreras that he is offensively a, would be a great DH, but he can catch for you? And we know that McCann, even though he's had a nice little couple days here, McCann and Nito are very limited offensively. They're very limited offensively. And now, Contreras is going to cost more than what I previously said about DH and relief help, but do you like the flexibility of him to be able to DH when he's not catching? I don't know. Are they going to pay that kind of price? That, that's something that remains to be seen. I think that there was a time where we looked at things and go, man, do they have to go get Frankie Montas or Castillo from the Reds because they need a frontline starter? I don't think we live in that world anymore. You have DeGrom on a rehab assignment. Fingers crossed he can actually stay healthy, but even if he doesn't, you have Scherzer, you have Taiwan Walker, you have Bassett, you have Carrasco. Like, maybe you're looking at a fourth or fifth starter to add into the fold with Peterson and Trevor Williams because you like Williams as a long reliever, not a spot starter, so you get a spot starter. So that's what I think the Mets are at, and that's a good that's a good problem to be facing that you're not like, hey, we need a shortstop. We need a center fielder. Like, we need, like they don't need those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, I'd definitely say they're in a good spot. The one thing that's very interesting, I think, about this trade deadline is and I mean, we've seen people talk about it is due to the expanded playoffs, there's less sellers, which means, yes. you know, the, the market is definitely a lot thinner, which may, you know, end up resulting in some of these players who wouldn't require, you know, as much of a price in past years, you know, end up requiring a good amount. I mean, last year we saw all these players. We saw the Scherzers, the Trey Turners, the Chris Bryant, Avi Baez, all those guys. Yeah, and this Maria's, year, I mean, there's not. It was nuts. It was crazy. And then this year it's like, I mean, who's, I, I guess you have Luis Castillo might be the best guy that gets dealt, but offensively i mean you've got josh bell maybe cj crone gets dealt i mean it's definitely 
very limited, which, I mean, it's good the Mets don't need a lot this year because they might, they would probably be in trouble otherwise. You know what the wild card to me in all of this is? To me, it's the San Francisco Giants because, and I don't think they'll ever convince themselves to be sit. They are 11 and a half games back as we record this podcast. They are a game over 500. They are a team that when they get hot, nothing can stop them. But man, if they kind of spiral here these next four weeks before the deadline, you know, they got the Padres, the Diamondbacks, the Brewers, and then four with the Dodgers. Like, that's not the easiest run. Are they a team that quietly goes into sell mode? They have uh, some good relief options. They have a guy like Jock Peterson that's just been dynamite. That's the one to me that can flip the deadline upside down. But I'm not convinced they'll ever really convince themselves that it's time to sell. Yeah, I mean, I was I was watching um, MLB Central this morning on MLB Network, and they brought the same thing up, the Giants mm. and also the Angels as another team that wow. to potentially watch with potentially you guys like Syndergaard, Loop, Tapera, um, which, I mean, those are teams that you have to watch. But, man, I mean, and they were bringing up trading like guys like Trout and Otani, which obviously won't happen this year. But as you look to the future, I mean, next year could be crazy year if the Angels – can't find success but you're right like at some point you really need to decide is it time to blow it up or do we keep doing this thing where we always think this is the year yeah Uh, it's not a good place nobody wants to be in that place no and i mean imagining what shohei otani could get on the trade market is just pure that would be pure insanity if if he ended up getting dealt (laughs) it'd be crazy all right well i think that will do it um for the mets today um i do want to pivot though um, for the last little bit of time we have to the NFL. Um, I mean, this offseason has just been crazy. We're, you know, getting closer and closer to preseason at this point, about a month away or so. But I want to ask you about, it seems, you know, I guess the most recent news in the NFL, really, that was the Baker Mayfield trade. Obviously, he was traded to the Carolina Panthers for a conditional fourth-round pick in, uh, I believe, 2024. Yep. Um, you know, Carolina is a very interesting team. They've got all these quarterbacks. Do you believe that with Baker Mayfield at quarterback, Carolina can compete? I do. I think they can compete. I think this makes them significantly better. Um, I think Baker Mayfield, when healthy, which is a huge caveat, is a significantly better player than Sam Darnold or Matt Corral right now. I think that it's kind of funny. Like Corral has a similar like cadence and aesthetic to Baker, which is going to be funny watching them throw together in camp. Um, I think that, Baker is a guy that when he's in the right offense and needs to be a distributor to get his playmakers the ball can do it. So when you have those kinds of playmakers that are so good after the catch in the Carolina offense, they solve their biggest need at left tackle getting Ikea Kwanu. I think, you know, it's tough, right? Like the Bucs are going to be really good. The Bucs are going to be really good. The Saints are going to be good. Like they're not going away anywhere. The Falcons are going to be terrible. So to me, what Carolina is, can you at least split with the Saints and keep yourself, you know, relevant in that wild card race? And I think if Baker's shoulder is right, which I, massive difference, right? If it's not, yeah. you're like, oh boy, like this is this. We saw what happened last year. We saw it. Yeah. But if he's healthy, they're a team that they have a lot of young ascending players on defense that the general, you know, national coverage does not pay attention to. But guys like me that just I do the draft all year and then I watch guys their first year or two in the NFL to see where it goes, they are now poised for a pretty good breakout. Yeah, I think Carolina is a very interesting team. I mean, I think that they'll be up there. I mean, they always seem to kind of be in the seven, eight win range. And I mean, I'd probably still have them missing the playoffs, to be honest. I, I just 
I don't know. I feel like this, they're one of the teams that just seems to, they're kind of stuck in this loop of just like mediocrity since that Super Bowl. And it seems like they just right. can't kind of get out of it. And especially in this day and age, I mean, I, on our weekly episodes, when we talk about the NFL on this podcast, I mean, the level of quarterbacking in the NFL right now is just insanity. And you look at a guy like Baker and I've talked about, you know, why the Browns made the move with Deshaun, even with all the allegations and all that stuff, Deshaun, at least if he, you know, if he's playing, which obviously is a huge, if, you know, he can compete with these guys, but a guy like Baker, I just don't think it, at this level and, and this day and age in the NFL can compete and, and seriously lead a team to a Super Bowl at this point. So we'll see. It's, I, it's I tough. Like, Man, when you look at it, like the only model those teams can sell themselves on is what the Niners have done. And that's a lot to ask when you look at that Niners roster and the coaching that they've had that they lost a lot of recently. So it's um, you're right. It's either have a superstar quarterback or go the Niners model. Neither are easy to attain. Yeah. And you look at the Niners, they've got a lot of superstars there with Nick Bosa, Debo Samuel. I mean, George Kittle, it's. Best I, run I, game schematically that we've seen. Yeah, Trent in the Williams. Last five I mean, years. Yeah. yeah, they are. Uh, I don't think Carolina's quite there, but if they're going for that, you know, we'll we'll see how it turns out. I guess. Um, I want to pivot to um, a team that I know you are a a supporter of, the New York Jets. Um, they had a good off season. I mean, the draft went very well for them. Um, you know, as good as you could get. I mean, they landed four you know top tier first round talent players. Um, they made some good signings too. I mean, what are your expectations for the Jets going into the season? You know, it's funny. I was just telling somebody that there's a good seven wins and a bad seven wins. And I think the Jets are finally trending where they should find the good seven wins where it's Zach Wilson's not going to leap. He's going to step forward and that's okay. Like that. He doesn't need to throw 35 touchdowns and like be a superstar yet. So for that, I think it's that you get the small step forward from Zach Wilson. Maybe the Jimmy G 2021, the 20 touchdowns, the 10 to 12 picks, run-heavy offense with a good offensive line, specifically a guard. But for the Jets, tough schedule. A lot of young players that are still growing, right? You have the 2021 class that it should take a nice leap forward this year. Elijah Moore, Elijah Vera Tucker was very good last year. Um, Michael Carter. 2022, when you look at it, how ready is Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall? The answer to me is all three of those guys are going to be starters. Jermaine Johnson's probably going to play around 50% of the snaps, help your run defense on the edge, give you some effort sacks early on. So the Jets are on a different timeline than a lot of the other teams in the AFC, right? Like, And it's okay. Like, The, the Bengals are in Super Bowl now, obviously, because they made it last year. They're in a Super Bowl window. Chiefs are always going to be with Mahomes. Bills are always going to be with Josh Allen. The Browns, the Watson situation makes them a total variable. The Ravens are healthy. I think they're going to win the North. And then you have uh, the Colts, who are in win now with Matt Ryan. The rest of that division is not very good. I think Tennessee takes a step back. But that's a lot of, like, Super Bowl or bust kind of teams. That The Jets are not Super Bowl or bust. So good seven wins, not a bad seven wins. Not the seven wins where it's like, we're old. We're losing all these guys to free agency. We have no picks. We have no money. Like, it's a good seven wins where it's like quarterback is going the right way. Young play callers going the right way. This core is under contract for at least another two to three years. Coaching staff is hopefully getting better. They need to improve. So that's where I think the Jets realistically are right now. I don't think they're as bad as a lot of people thinking they'll win four games again. I don't think they're as good as a lot of people thinking they're a sneaky playoff team. Yeah, I think it's a... 
I mean, they're they're doing it the right way. At least they're 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 they've done a good job at this rebuild. I am curious though um, with Zach Wilson. I mean, obviously, you know, number two overall pick. I mean, the the fate of this rebuild essentially is in is in no his doubt. hands. No um, you know, looking at the draft though last last year, where did you you know you're obviously big with the draft. What did you think the Jets should have done? Do you think Zach Wilson was the right pick at that spot? I evaluated him as the second best quarterback, and I thought it was close. I, I had. Him, Lawrence, Lance, and Fields all in the top five overall in the draft. And I <laughs> never have a lot of quarterbacks in the first round like that. So it was really what you wanted to do on offense, right? Like there was things Justin Fields was better at. Fields was obviously extremely accurate at all three levels, a big-bodied thrower, a big-bodied runner. But I thought Wilson mechanically with his release point and uh, twitchiness in the pocket could be – better in those ways where that fits their San Francisco-like offense. So I had no problem with the pick. I think when it comes down to it, it's a fact of you needed to be ready for a guy coming out of BYU to get the time that he needs. Like throwing him into the fire is an interesting choice, but they didn't really have much of it. Like they were always going to do that. While you see Trey Lance sit, Justin Fields sat and then got hurt. Like, Mac Jones won the job in camp over Cam Newton, which at this point of Cam's career, that's not, like, overly insane, but he still won the job. So, I think with Wilson, you signed up knowing you're going to go through a lot of really tough hurdles, and the first half of his year was awful. The second half of the year, he was much better. Now he needs to carry that momentum into this year. But I'm not one of those people, because of his slow start, that goes, oh, man, like, that was the wrong pick. Trevor Lawrence had a really rough year. Justin yeah. Fields had a rough year. Trey Lance couldn't win that job like that. You look at it like that. These guys are much better players than what they showed as rookies. And I think we'll see that this year. Yeah. I mean, compared to, to this year, that quarterback class definitely was expected to be, uh, you know, one of the best in recent years. And it's definitely, I mean, it's only been one year, obviously, but obviously, you know, Mac Jones, yeah, it was, it was, it was a very tough year. I mean, none of the outside of Mac Jones, really, none of them did anything special. Um, the last question I have for you today, um, I mean, looking at this offseason as a whole in the NFL, it's been pure insanity. You talk to anyone, it's the craziest offseason they've ever covered. Um, I mean, in your opinion, what do you think was the most shocking move of the offseason? The Watson trade. Um, I, I think that not the trade itself, but the pursuit of him from, what, four teams we know four teams, of? teams, yeah. Okay, so that's surprising to me. The 250 guaranteed, like a million guaranteed, like, I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't want to get too down into this road because there's a lot of yeah. <laughs> ongoing legal things, NFL yeah. investigation. It's really messy. Um, I am on the side that the Browns are absolutely insane for making that deal. But that to me was the most, sh- like, so shocking to have that kind of stuff pending and not only be acquired for a massive return, but the money given in that deal is unprecedented. Like, un- it's there was nothing close where everybody else in the league is looking at the Browns and going, are you kidding me? Like, if you're the Baltimore Ravens right now and you have to pay Lamar Jackson, who has won an MVP, is an excellent character guy supreme off the field all world work ethic no problems to worry about him nothing you're looking at that and going we love lamar now we have to top that contract that's it's just it's set a bar that is 
it's like sitting on planet Earth and, and go and looking at Mars. Like it's just it's so out there that that move to me was just I I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And nothing surprises me with superstar quarterbacks, and that surprised me. Yeah, I mean that was the whole process was crazy. I had um, I talked with Ian Rappaport on here, and he was kind of I asked him about the whole process, and he was you know he said the Browns were out the, that day that it was reported. I mean he the Browns were told like Deshaun Watson you know he he's not going to be there, and then literally the next day he he thought about it he wanted the chance to compete obviously the money came later but then i mean it was kind of just the whole process was just pure insanity and you know you bring up a good point with lamar i mean he's it's paid off him not signing an extension yet because now i mean the quarterback market is just the whole nfl i mean the the wide receiver market blew up this offseason but the quarterback market obviously is at a, a different level so lamar jackson will cash in whenever he gets uh gets his next contract yeah, he's going to do pretty well. I think that Ravens team is going to be really good this year because they got, they're healthy, they had a good draft. Uh, you don't have to worry about him being motivated, whether contract year or not, but that puts a little extra sweet sauce on it. So, that man, I think, yeah, I think it's, a, it's obviously huge for him. Now, Lamar, I think, also representing himself will – I think it's a little different. I, I don't think that contract will be matched, which you always say, the next guy gets more. I, I don't think that'll be matched, but it does help him get more. Yeah. Definitely. It'll be very interesting to see what that deal is when the time comes. Um, but with that, that will do it for this week's episode of Outside the Arena. Thank you so much for joining me today, Connor. I'll link all of your socials and, uh, and all of that below in the description. If you're new to the channel, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. We appreciate the support greatly. And we'll see you all in the next week, next episode of Outside the Arena.